Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 320, entitled The Man Behind the Curtain. This is the 69th hour of the series, and there are 52 to go. Before we get underway with that though, my important announcement that I've been teasing for the last couple weeks, and of course that wouldn't be any fun to get to directly, so in Lost style, first of all a quick flashback. Uh, before the airing of this episode, The Man Behind the Curtain, uh, there was uh, this important uh, news making its way through the Lost community. Uh, I'll read now from the USA Today article dated May 7th, 2007. Uh, the title is One Mystery Solved, Lost to End in 2010. And uh, obviously you know the news there, but I'll read the first uh, couple paragraphs. The end is in sight for ABC's acclaimed Island Mystery Lost, but fans have to wait until 2010 for all the answers. In a highly unusual move, the network announces plans today to end the show after three more shortened seasons of 16 episodes each. The episodes will air consecutively, repeat-free, from February until May. ABC's bold step marks a response to the show's producers, who have been eager to set a finish line to better plot out their convoluted mystery of plane crash survivors and to placate fans who are frustrated that the show may uh, seem to be vamping its way to a conclusion. So with that little flashback now concluded, I'll share my news that this podcast uh, now officially can set its own end date. Uh, if we do the math, there are 52 episodes to go, so you might say, well, that's a year from now, no problem, middle of June. Well, if you add to that uh, the fact that for the two-hour season finales, I tend to, to turn those into, uh, into uh, two episodes... Uh, as well as every so often uh, sit down and do an episode kind of reflecting on a uh, on the previous series uh, season and looking ahead to the next season. Well, that takes us into July. And obviously, if you throw the new man in charge in there, we're towards the second half of July. Now, if you add to that the fact that uh, most of uh, the, the podcasts uh, lately uh, have been uh, releasing Thursday night for Friday mornings, if you look at to August, why look? August 15th is a Thursday. 8.15 is a Thursday. So, uh, and of course, I'm speaking about uh, 8.15, 2013. Uh, and with that date so close to when the podcast would normally be ending, well, I just certainly have to choose that date for my final, final episode, uh, whether that is on the finale, whether that is on uh, the, new man, the new man in charge, uh, the latter being more likely, I suspect, uh, the bottom line is this, we can look ahead to uh, that end date, 8-15-2013, as the end date for this podcast. So certainly a little uh, bit of dramatic flourish there on my own part, and uh, well, something to look forward to. These, uh, well, with 52 episodes to go, splitting those in part, some other further reflections, uh, the, the webisodes to cover as well. So I think without any uh, extra padding, we'll be able to get there continuing together, of course, week after week. So with that, let's now get into this episode, 
320, The Man Behind the Curtain, and we start with flashbacks, where Emily Linus gives birth to her son in a forest. Afterward, her husband Roger carries her and the baby to the road outside Portland, where a car carrying Horace Goodspeed and Olivia soon stops them. Emily dies after telling Roger to name the baby Benjamin. Seven years later, Ben and his father arrive at the island to work for the Dharma Initiative, of which Horace is a member. At one point, Ben sees a vision of his dead mother. This, along with his drunken father blaming him for his mother's death, prompts Ben to sneak into the jungle in search of her. He encounters Richard Alpert, one of the hostels who are native to the island. Ben tells Richard that he wants to join the hostels on the grounds of not liking the Dharma Initiative. Richard tells Ben if he truly wants this, then he must be patient and wait for his time to come. Years later, Ben, now a young man and working for Dharma, helps his father to load a van. After confronting his father about forgetting his birthday again, Roger suggests they go for a drive together after their work is done, to have some father-son time. After parking atop a hill, Ben asks his father if he blames himself for the death of his mother. Roger answers, what do I know, and promises to try and remember Ben's birthday the following year. But Ben pulls out a gas mask and bids his father goodbye before filling the the van with a gas that kills Roger. Ben returns to the barracks, where all the Dharma workers have died from the same gas, and Alpert and his men emerge. As Alpert's men start picking up the bodies, Alpert offers to go and collect Roger's, but Ben tells him to leave him out there. Our present-day story starts with Locke and the others, where Locke arrives at the others' camp carrying his father's body on his back and demands that Ben tell him everything about the island. Ben tells him that the true leader of the others is named Jacob and denies Locke's request to see him. Soon after, Mikhail stumbles into camp and talks about a parachutist who landed on the island, Naomi Dorrit. To convince Ben to bring him before Jacob, Locke beats Mikhail unconscious. Ben and Locke arrive at Jacob's cabin. They enter, but Locke cannot see anyone inside. Ben introduces Locke to Jacob and gestures towards an empty chair, to which he starts talking. Locke tells Ben he is crazy and pathetic. Just as Locke is about to exit the house, an odd and deep voice says, Help me. Locke pulls out a flashlight, and suddenly, objects in the room begin to violently fly about. Windows shatter, and Ben is flung against the wall as a strange man is briefly seen sitting in a chair. Locke and Ben run out of the house. The following day, Locke still does not believe Jacob is real and says he will expose Ben as a fraud. Locke notices that Ben is leading them back by a different path, and Ben leads him to a mass grave full of skeletons clothed in Dharma uniforms. Ben tells Locke that he helped kill his own people when it became clear that the Dharma workers could not cohabitate with the natives, and then shoots Locke, who falls into the pit. Locke reveals Jacob, said, help me, and Ben replies that he certainly hopes Jacob helps him, and departs, leaving Locke for dead. Lastly, at the beach, we are with the survivors. Sawyer plays Juliet's tape for Saeed and Kate. Later that night, the survivors are introduced to Naomi, and the tape is played for all to hear. Just then, Jack and Juliet return to camp. Juliet tells Sawyer to play the other side of the tape, which is Ben's plan to lead a team to kidnap all the fertile women. Juliet reveals she has already told Jack about it, and they were still thinking about a plan. So with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. In what is, yet again, another absolutely fantastic episode, by the way. Uh, So let's start at the beginning. In the previously on Lost, they repeated Ben telling Locke that Juliet is a mole. Uh, it's it's at this point that kind of uh, reflected, it's, it's rather convenient that Locke knows this. It actually becomes the 
reason that we are returning to the survivor camp uh, for for this episode uh, because of that drama. Had Locke not known it, uh, things perhaps would have proceeded along just fine. But, you know, it's a bit hand of the writer that Locke is able to know this and then share the information back with everyone. Anyhow, the episode proper opens with that waitress from True Blood giving birth. It is, of course, Ben's birth, and, as I'm sure you know, in a very odd bit of casting, the actress playing Ben's mother is Michael Emerson's wife. Anyhow, the scene uh, is interesting for story reasons as well, because we're cut off from time and place. The show purposefully doesn't tell us where or when we are, yet. Uh, It, of course, appears to be the island, what with all the green. But then uh, the, the scene moves... Uh, to the side of the road where we're in Hawaii. Oops, I mean, it's Oregon, because, of course, there's a nice friendly sign that says Portland. So at least we've got the place. Uh, and when the dying mom says to call him Benjamin, now we've got the time. Setting is complete. The beginning of the Ben story. Additionally, the scene, I'll just kind of add on a personal note, the scene is a cornucopia of familiar actors from my youth. Ben's father was on The Pretender, Uh, Samantha Mathis, who plays Olivia, uh, also played the princess in the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is an awful, awful movie. Doug Hutchison uh, played the stretchy guy on The X-Files. And uh, if you haven't heard the latest news on him, actor Doug Hutchison, who uh, married a young lady. I'll let you look into that on your own. At any rate, back to the show. Uh, With Mom dead, Wistful Island Ben is shown, and with that, Richard enters. What you got there? It's a birthday present. Mine just happens to be today. You do remember birthdays, don't you, Richard? You know, it's a brilliant little moment, uh, and a two-for-one moment at that. Not only do we get the first little snippet of Richard being unusually old, but we also get the rare, sad Ben. And as I'll, I'll note later in the episode, it's kind of this beginning of uh, multiple times in the episode where we are seeing Ben's birthday. Uh, by my rough count, I don't have that part of my notes in front of me, but by my rough count, we see four of Ben's birthdays in this episode. Anyhow, with that, there's a bit of banter back and forth about who's got the tape recorder. Hint, hint, Locke stole it. And the scene moves outside to Locke carrying that weight of his dead father's body so that he can join the cool kid club once again. Uh, there's a wonderful bit of dialogue where Locke says that now he's killed his father. It's time for Ben to tell him everything and to start at the beginning. Isn't that what we always say? Isn't that what we always want? This, of course, uh, puts Locke in the driver's seat in this episode as uh, kind of the de facto audience member. Uh, And indeed, it's with that idea of starting at the beginning, which we did start at the beginning of the Ben story. It's a little commentary as well. We're going to see, essentially, the, the abridged, complete life of Benjamin Linus in this episode, from birth to uh, rebirth to uh, the present day. So with that, we go to the title card, then return with Ben pouring himself and Locke a few drinks while Ben backpedals. Or so we think as first-time viewers. It's actually a surprisingly direct bit of truth. It's one of the times where the show works uh, in two completely different directions, depending on whether you've seen the series as a whole or not. Uh, The episode, of course, is called Man Behind the Curtain, the Wizard of Oz reference made to suggest that the great and powerful Oz of the island is merely a conniving man, specifically Ben. And indeed, that of course sounds like him, doesn't it? 
And that certainly is the tact that we take with the scene. Uh, for those, you know, wearing that first-time viewer hat, of course. But for those of us on the return trip, however, it's the first time these characters have so frankly talked about the real man behind the island. You probably think I'm the leader of this little community. But that's not entirely true. We all answer to someone, John. And who might that be? His name is Jacob. Okay, then. Take me to Jacob. I can't do that. Where are you going? Hell, Ben, if you don't want to take me, maybe someone else will. I'll just go and ask Richard. Why would Richard take you? He doesn't know where Jacob is. He doesn't talk to Jacob. Well, who talks to him? I do. Well, you're the only one who talks to him. That's right. And no one else knows where he is? I was born here on this island. I'm one of the last that was. Most of these people you see, I brought them here. So Jacob talks to me, John. He tells me what to do, trusts me. And no one else has ever seen him. That's right. How convenient. You know what I think, Ben? I think there is no Jacob. I think your people are idiots if they believe you take orders from someone else. You are the man behind the curtain. The Wizard of Oz. And you're a liar. And what might you base that theory on, John? Because if you were telling the truth, your hand wouldn't be shaking. There are, of course, a few lies mixed in here. Uh, and Richard can see him too. Uh, Jacob, that is. And Ben clearly was not born on the island. We, we know this, having just seen it happen. Yet, the dramatic function of that, that one line, Ben was born on the island, I think, dramatically, is meant to pull the rest of the story down with him. We are meant to not trust the rest of his story. We're suckered into believing Locke really is the audience once again. And once again, we share his lack of faith. So, why does ben hand Ben's hand shake? Uh, yes, later on he explains it. Yeah, he's nervous at the notion of, uh, of uh, going to see Jacob uh, without request. But I would propose something else. Maybe he's jealous of Locke. Maybe he is shocked that Locke apparently killed his father, just like Ben did. Maybe Ben is worried that he's looking at the new Ben. With that, we flash back to teenage Ben. How do we know it's him? He's got those glasses, of course. It's wisely without dialogue at first. We see newcomers, the sub, the island, the joyful return of our beloved Dharma initiative. I would imagine, too, as a side note, you know, we think, well, this is surely going to be the last time that we see the Dharma initiative. You know, unbeknownst to us, season five will, will take place there. It's also possible that there's a little question starting to build in our heads as, as first-time viewers. Uh, and I think this, you know, I say that obviously suggesting that the question is meant to build in our minds uh, as, uh, you know, as intended by the writers. The father's name is Roger. Where have we heard that name before? Well, we'll find out soon enough, won't we? Uh, with that, Horace Goodspeed, certainly a oddly named character, but Horace Goodspeed welcomes Roger and Ben to the island with dialogue to suggest that he helped bring them there. I'll just step outside of the show for one moment and mention that uh, while Horace certainly is uh, warm and friendly to Ben, putting his arm around Ben's uh, shoulder, I really couldn't help but think about how the actor recently married that 
Teenage Bride, the actor who plays Horace Goodspeed. If you don't know, the bride's mother's signature was required due to the fact that she wasn't quite 18 yet. Yuck. Anyhow, back to the show. Uh, it's fun, familiar territory, unlike the story of actor Dudge Hutchinson, Doug Hutchinson. Uh, the show gives us fun, familiar territory. The return of orientation films. This one explaining the sonic fence and the quote-unquote wildlife out there. Roger is called away to get his new career opportunity, and Ben looks around, meeting Annie, but not before we see a Dharma medic injecting something or other into someone's arm. It's, it's nice to see that in this scene there are little bits and pieces from the show's past being used here and there, uh, including Annie uh, offering Ben an Apollo candy bar. Hardy har har. Then Roger's world gets disappointing and ours gets a lot more interesting. Workman? What is this? Workman? <laughs> I'm a janitor? I'm sorry, Mr. Linus. Goodspeed told me you people were doing experiments changing the world. I didn't come here to clean up after you. Look, if anything else opens up, you can feel free to apply for it. <sighs> come on. Our initial reaction, I think, is to gasp. He's Roger Workman. Now having the beginning of the story and knowing its end, the next mystery arises. What's the middle? What's the middle of the Roger Workman story? How does Roger Linus become the very dead Roger Workman? Obviously, we find out tonight, don't we? With that, the flashback ends, as you heard, and we're back at the survivor camp. Sawyer delivers the news of Juliet's tape recorder to... Of course, the most trustworthy guy in camp, Saeed. And then we're back with the others. There's a great shot of Boots frantically running into their camp, and it's Mikhail. Patchy does some catch-me-up dialogue, a woman parachuted to the island, and Locke says nothing will be done about it right now as he and Ben are going to see Jacob. There are wonderful reaction shots as the, the other others look shocked. Medium and wide shots really sell how Locke has taken over the agenda by his claim. Ben tries to weasel his way out of it, but... Sorry, I have to deal with this now, John. Our excursion will have to wait. Since when do you explain yourself to him? An outsider. Tom? Tom? Richard? So when do we leave? Now, I enjoy reminding everyone that Locke is fallible and wrong and empty and angry, but there truly are times when he is the voice of the audience. We as an audience, and here we are 20 episodes into this season, we're a bit sick of the twists and turns. Now, sure, it's also the fun of the show, but we sense the end of the season coming and we're hungry for answers, particularly after the ups and downs of this season. Here... It's just an incredibly enjoyable moment. Perhaps done out of writer's block, how else do you push aside Mikhail's very serious news of another outsider? But it's just very, very enjoyable. No, nothing will block us from having some sort of answers, especially for this Jacob that we've been hearing bits and pieces about you know, for, for much of the whole season. And if you'd like to put it even farther back, uh, when uh, Ben was first outed as an other back in the, the Swan Hatch, uh, and he was referring to the, the great man that they all serve. 
the, the short-term answer was that was the truth. The medium-term answer was he was talking about himself, and now the long-term answer is it is Jacob. Anyhow, with that, we flash back to Ben in school, where we see Samantha Mathis, whose Dharma outfit labels her as Olivia. Uh, what happens next is key to the evolution of our understanding of the show's mythology. An alarm goes off, uh, and the students take hiding positions while Olivia grabs her rifle. There's a palpable panic in the air, and Annie refers to the troublemakers as the hostiles. It continues later that night, with Ben overhearing Horace explain to Roger that there are skirmishes with the natives. Now, this has been hinted at before, certainly by Patchy, but here the show is really spelling it out, that there are essentially two different sets of others. There's the Dharma people, and then there's these natives or hostiles. Um, and I really don't think that this was a clear point, um, you know, uh, for, for much of the show, particularly since we got the notion that the that the others, let's say a la beginning of season two, Walt's abduction, you know, that they kind of dressed in rags and had this shanty life to them, then to find out, no, they live in, uh, you know, in, in Othersville. Uh, certainly the notion that uh, that was different from Dharma uh, was not very clear until now. Anyhow, this is one of the scarier episodes of Lost, and as Ben looks out his window, he certainly is frightened. Uh, by the sight of his dead mother looking at him through the window. Uh, we also see the increasingly unloving Roger, who sneers at his son uh, that he was told to go to bed. Now, at this point, we're roughly one-third through the episode, and for all its fun, it's feeling decidedly light on our heroes. Thus, we return to Sawyer and Saeed on the hunt for Juliet. Uh, the scene is more a recap exposition and catch-me-up, Kate explaining about her last scene in the last episode, Saeed dismissively saying that of course she doesn't know where Jack is, and Sawyer's about to play the tape with her. At least if it's going to be, you know, exposition and catch me up, you know, they do it quickly. With that, we go back to Ben and Locke, and Ben explains something that we repeat viewers know is honest. Jacob is real, Jacob will be angry uh, at being visited, and ben, Jacob is the sort of man who calls on you, not vice versa. We, the audience, naturally hate Ben, or love to hate him, uh, either way, with Locke's smart-ass response, I guess there's a first time for everything, which he delivers with a mouthful of food, we're meant to continue to be on Locke's side. The point of all this pro-Locke story maneuvering is, of course, to have greater impact at the end of the story, which we'll get to in due time once we approach that, uh, that cabin. Uh, as they leave camp, there's this wonderful sense of how serious this is, and it's shot so, so wonderfully. Mikhail, Tom... Richard, Alex, all watching with trepidation and perhaps fear. And that fear takes us to the act break. And when we return to young Ben uh, getting a wooden figure from Annie, uh, a way to stay together, to never be apart. Uh, the wooden figure that he was looking at in his first scene, mind you. Uh, and it's his birthday again, as we're told by Annie. And with that, Ben goes home to find his father drunk on Dharma beer and passed out. Do we still love to hate Ben now? Or how about after this? It's your birthday. Sorry, I forgot. Look, 
kind of hard to celebrate on the day you killed your mom. She was just seven months pregnant. We went for a hike, but you had to come early. Now she's gone. And I'm stuck here on this island with you. God. Happy birthday, Ben. I think that we're probably now feeling a lot better about the fate of Roger Workman, uh, which itself is another bit of audience manipulation, by the way. Uh, they're cruel words said by a depressed, angry, drunk father, but... Does that really condemn him to his fate, at least that we could predict at this point on first viewing? Uh, and does that really condemn him to the fate that he ultimately gets? Uh, I don't know. I, I would say perhaps not, but uh, well, there's no clear answer, certainly. And indeed, speaking of not being clear, I've never been entirely clear about the whispers and ghosts and that aspect of the show. It certainly was a mystery that the show held on to only clearly explaining it to a large degree towards the end of the series in Everybody Loves Hugo, with Michael saying that the spirits of those who aren't able to move uh, on uh, are the whispers. And of course, you know, it can be seen from time to time. But aren't they usually people who died near the island? Ben's mother clearly died in Portland. And uh, I'll admit I needed to do some uh, digging into Lostpedia uh, at this point, certainly ahead of the next scene where we'll see the mother again. So Lostpedia says that Emily is the third of five characters who died off the island but appeared on the island post-death. The other four characters are Christian, Yemi, Isabella, and John Locke. Uh, however, only Emily and Isabella have appeared when their bodies were not present on the island. Now, I would actually be interested to double-check. I am not entirely sure that what Lostpedia has says is accurate. Do we ever see non uh, uh what do i want to say do we ever see non-smoky Christ, christian shepherd uh off the top of my head i don't think so do we ever see non-smoky yummy off the top, top of my head and certainly through these first uh, bunch you know first 69 episodes i don't think so either but certainly you can include i suppose the same with with Locke. um you know when you see him he's smoky so that might just be old uh, an old bit of information there on Lostpedia, but certainly we can agree. Uh, we can agree about Isabella, who who very clearly died uh, in in her home in the Canary Islands and nowhere near the island, even if it was hopping around as it as it does from time to time. Anyhow, I suppose that there is no ultimately there is no hard and fast rule. The bottom line is that we can assume that Ben indeed sees his mother and not Smokey since she is seen past the sonic fence line. Unless you'd like to argue that he hallucinated Mom by his window and that it was Smokey on the other side of the fence, which I'm not going to argue. Anyway, the, the flashback ends, and then it's the jungle trek of Ben and Locke. Curiously, they're using flashlights. No great insight there, just not something I'm used to uh, seeing on the show. Uh, we know that they're getting close to the cabin, particularly once Locke starts to inspect the line of ash. Perhaps that's why they have flashlights, so Locke can shine it on the ash and we can all see it. Anyhow, mystery thus planted. Mystery of the ash, that is. 
Uh, the story moves to the beach where Claire, remember her, and Son, she's still on the show too, reveal that we're mid-scene, Saeed having told them about Naomi and the supposition that all from 815 are dead. It feels slightly pedestrian at first, with Naomi asking if they really want to get off the island at all, and Sun defending Jack as trustworthy and Juliet as seeming to be nice. Sawyer retorts with a delicious little line, Are you sure about that, Mrs. Kwan? It's a reference to Juliet's tape, which he plays for dramatic effect for the group. And because, of course, this is drama, it's at that exact second when Jack shows up. Juliet advances the plot, along by having Sawyer play the other side of the tape, which lets us hear what we already knew, that the others are coming to take the pregnant women soon. Uh, Juliet tells everyone that she told Jack, and Jack tells everyone that he was thinking about what to do for all of it, and the scene ends by saying that they have some catching up to do. I'm still not sold that that scene worked to advance the plot, or if it was just showing us that our heroes are, are caught up on uh, what's going on. Anyhow, after the act break, we're in flashback, and young Ben uses the latest fence code to cross into the wilds. It's an ironic moment. He uses his uh, pet rabbit, a la the, uh, or indicative or, or recalling the hydra hatch and the rabbit there. This rabbit, however, is used to test crossing the line is safe, and it is. You know, there's something so sad as the scene progresses uh, about Ben searching for his long-lost mother amidst the creepy whispers and Giacchino music telling us that there's something amiss. Uh, the camera makes a standard enough swirl around him to reveal <gasps> long-haired Richard, not looking a day older or younger uh, than we've ever seen him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, oh, hey, hey. Whoa, I didn't mean to scare you. Wait, wait, are you lost? Wait. Are you one of them? One of whom? A hostel. Do you even know what that word means? What's your name? Ben. Ben? So you want to tell me what you're doing in the middle of the jungle all by yourself? I left home. And I'm looking for my mom. You think she's out here? You wouldn't believe me. Fine, She's dead. Did she die here? On the island? No. When I was a baby. Did you see her? Out here, Ben, in the jungle? She talked to me. What'd she say? That I couldn't come with her. Said it wasn't time yet. You should go home now. Your people will be looking for you. I don't want to go back there. I hate it there. Take me with you. Maybe that can happen. Maybe. If that's what you really want, then if that's what you want, I want you to think about that. And you're going to have to be very, very patient. Did 
this certainly is the earliest that we've seen uh, uh, anything of the island's original inhabitants. Uh, and the vaguely peasant shirt that Richard is wearing could be in the style of the 1960s or 70s, or an actual peasant shirt from 1060 or perhaps even 60 AD. Of course, we end on the idea of patience, not only for Ben joining the hostels, but this notion of patience is something that he carries with him in life in general. Certainly a very patient planner. Flashback over, we're now in uh, uh, Jacob's cabin, perhaps the creepiest set for the entire show. There's a great little line for Locke to turn off his flashlight. So that little bit of illumination that we as the kind of scared audience members have, that goes away as well. The pacing is achingly slow. Ben lighting the lantern, Locke feeling for his gun, Ben double-checking this is the best way to handle things. Uh, and, of course, the confident smile on Locke's face tells us that it's all smoke and mirrors. No pun intended. And as they enter the cabin, it has all the horror movie requisites, it seems. Lots of wood, creepy paintings, jars of stuff, and so forth. And with that, Ben's, Ben starts to carry on a conversation with the air. Yes, I know, but he insisted. What is this? You wanted the secrets of the island? Well, here they are. This is the man who can answer every single... I am not. He made me bring him here. Did you think that that was my... Sorry, may I finish? You're crazy. Excuse me? You don't know anything about the island, do you? You just made it all up. Jacob, please, I can't hear him Stop. if you're going to talk Stop over it. what he's saying. Shut up! You're putting on a show for me? Or do you... Do you really think there's someone there? I know there's someone there. You don't know anything. I'm sorry you feel that way, John. And I'm sorry that you're too limited to see. You're pathetic. Now, at this point, it certainly appears that Locke is right, that Ben is pathetic, that uh, the audience's suspicions of Ben's bluster being uh, a lie, that these suspicions are true. Um, I mean, it's a quasi-ridiculous scene to have Ben just standing there talking to the, the empty chair. It really feels like you know, that it's going to be one of these, the, the, the emperor has no clothes on type thing, that you're just supposed to drink the Kool-Aid and say, yes, Ben is getting orders from some great and powerful Oz. But it certainly does not seem uh, like it at all at this point. But then things get frightening. Help me. What did you just say? I, I didn't say anything. Oh, yes, you did. I heard you. You said...
having seen the shack, you know, thrown around, bits and pieces flying, Ben thrown against the wall, Locke runs out. What was that? Locke ultimately asks. The response to end the act, that was Jacob. We return in the next act with it being the next morning. Ben appears awestruck, but Locke calls him a fraud. There's an interesting bit of foreshadowing in the scene as well. Locke says that uh, he will tell all that Ben is a fraud, and then asks why they're going uh, back by way of a different path. He does not put those two incongruities together. There's also a wonderful uh, little bit of language used by Ben. Uh, Ben admits to lying about, among other things, not having been born on the island. He says he wants to show Locke where he is from. Of course, as we'll learn in the next scene, what he means is that one Ben was born in Portland, but the man that we've known was tempered here in the Purge. And we'll see the after effect about that, as we're going to see soon enough. But not before the story goes to flashback, with adult Ben Workman, clearly uninspired in his job of being a Dharma janitor. There's some fantastic makeup here on the actor that plays Roger, who's you know, now aged a whole bunch of years. Uh, really, really nice makeup. Uh, and this Roger, uh, who we're told, has once again forgotten Ben's birthday. As I said earlier, it's a nice theme of the episode, and one that I wish they just made a bit more apparent. All of these stories are around Ben's birthdays. His birth, Ben at age 8 or 10 or 12, however old the, the young actor is meant to be, the young Ben is meant to be, Ben's birthday on Purge Day, and then his, his birthday at present time. At any rate, there's a truly heartfelt offer from Roger. Let's go drink some beers in the Dharma van on the Mesa. At this point, it's immediately clear. We're now, you know, we can hear the clackety-clack-clack of the train as we're moving closer to the end of this story for Roger, especially once the music starts, that familiar 70s music. The beer, the van, the mesa, and Roger Workman. The, the scene proceeds doubly, in fact. If you've never seen an episode before, it's a moment of reconciliation. If you have seen it before, well, the tension is palpable. You sure can't say it ain't beautiful. Do you really blame me? What? Do you really think it's my fault that she died? you feel any better I will do my best to remember your birthday next year I don't think that's gonna happen Ted what do you mean you know I've missed her too maybe as much as you have but the difference is that for as long as I can remember I've had to put up with you and doing that required a tremendous amount of patience. Goodbye, Dad.
Roger now, having been rather brutally gassed to death. Uh, we, of course, are coming off a scene that repeats the idea of patience, as well as vengeance, of course. And lastly, I think there's a sinister joke almost played on us. Roger Workman, the headless joke, has now been brutally killed before our eyes. We wanted that backstory, we've got it. And now it feels that just as Dad was about to turn a corner, he's gone. Indeed, the scene turns a corner with Ben back at the village where all are dead, apparently by the same gas, as we evidence the bloody noses. Ben goes to Horace, shutting his eyes, something that we can assume he didn't do for his own father. In the background, figures approach, the hostels, the natives, led by Richard. The music here is soft and delicate. It befits the awful thing done here. As Richard takes his mask off and Ben does as well, the music turns almost darkly triumphant. We feel as though the bad guys have won today, which of course is interesting because we'll certainly look on Jacob as the good guy and Richard as the good guy. And uh, essentially it's this feeling of the hero of the others, Ben, has risen. Richard offers to collect Roger's body, but of course we know Ben's answer already, no. The wide shot shows the other bodies being carted off. Uh, we could assume that as well as the hostels, a.k.a. the others, uh, take over this place. And where do those bodies go? We'll flash back over. We see the pit of bodies, Locke standing over it. Ben tells him that this is where he came from. Ben tells us this is the end of the Dharma Initiative. Ben tells us that he helped make it happen to avoid being in the ditch, just like Locke. A gunshot later, that's where Locke is, with Ben demanding to be told what Jacob said. The answer is, help me. The look on Ben's face shows us that he's taken that as a rebuke. And with that seed planted for Ben to reject his island father, to reject Jacob, just as he rejected his birth father, Ben storms off and the camera cranes above the bloody pit with Locke twisting in pain. And with that, the episode is over. Certainly a a wonderful episode, kind of, you know, the life and life and times of Ben. And, uh, you know, to, to see Locke there in, in, in that, that pile of bodies, obviously we know, you know, he'll turn out okay. Uh, it's also worth mentioning, you know, Ben tried to kill him once. Ben will have a shot again. Ben will, ben will be successful again. This really is kind of the, um, you know, this is the, the the beginning of the fall of Ben. We saw the rise of Ben to to wise other. Then uh, this is you know because Island Jacob, does, you know, our Island father, uh, doesn't love him enough. Uh, you can draw a direct line from Locke asking, uh, being asked to help Jacob from there to uh, to Ben plunging the knife into Jacob. But uh, that certainly is all in good time. Let's now take a quick look at Lostpedia, see what bits and pieces I have missed. Uh, they say that uh, this episode showed, shows Ben's mother uh, dies when he is born. This may explain his obsession with trying to prevent pregnant women dying on the island. Eh, an interesting comment. Maybe he's also just concerned about, I don't know, pregnant women dying on the island. The fact that the island can't repopulate itself. 
Uh, also, for a split moment, when the objects start to move around the cabin, Lostpedia says, a long-haired, slightly bearded man can be seen in the chair where Ben was supposedly talking to Jacob. Now, I'll mention as a side note, I vaguely remember some sort of rumor about Ron Perlman being asked to play Jacob or doing the voice or some sort of thing involving Ron Perlman playing Jacob. Obviously, that, that didn't come to pass, and I think it's probably for the best. Nothing against Ron Perlman, but I, I can't imagine anybody playing Jacob other than the guy who does. But anyhow, moving, uh, moving on with the Lostpedia stuff. Ben killed his father on his own birthday. Therefore, both of his parents died on his birthday. Both deaths occur more or less because of Ben. Lostpedia also says, in a rather <laughs> oddly worded bit of trivia or supposition, Richard dresses in grungy, pirate-looking gear for this episode only. It resembles the clothes of the others at the temple. I would not say it is pirate gear. It does look vaguely grungy. I would just say that it, it is um, part of that just timeless, peasanty type outfit. You know, it's a shirt you can pull over your head. It doesn't button up. Uh, again, as I said earlier, it could be a peasant shirt from the, the 70s or the 1070s or 70 AD. Uh, last little bit here, two last little bits from Lostpedia. This is the first episode this season in which all current cast members appear in new footage. Uh, they say, in expose, all current cast members appeared, but Naveen Andrews and Matthew Fox only appeared in archive footage. They add as well that uh, Henry and Cusick and Dominic Monaghan appear without lines. The last little bit here from Lostpedia. This is the first episode to air after the announcement of the 2010 end date. Which certainly, uh, well, it's a good reminder as well that now the podcast has its own end date, 8-15-2013. And uh, we'll obviously have lots of fun between then and now. Certainly the last thing I want to do to reach that end date, the last thing I want to do is uh, skip weeks in between just to pad it out. I hope that the, the content each week, whether it's about each episode as is the normal case or whether it's reflecting, or also I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, having an episode where I discuss some other odds and ends, but we'll, we'll get there if, it, uh, if and when it happens. But uh, certainly my hope is to have each week between now and 8-15-2013 to be uh, jam-packed and filled with all sorts of uh, lost reflections. So speaking of that, let's look ahead to next week, episode 321, Greatest Hits, a Charlie episode. If you'd like to share feedback, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. Call the listener line, 732-707-1815. Send an email to lookingbackatlost.gmail.com or visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So thank you again, everybody. See you next week for 321 Greatest Hits. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. <laughs>